Uh, well, good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. And for those of you uh, who know me, hi, how's it going? Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Trenton Walker. I'm a pastor in Church 21 on the South Shore. Uh, that's my primary focus of ministry, uh, but I have the pleasure to come and preach downtown uh, with you and um, uh, kind of participate over the different campuses. Uh, and I'm Evan's older brother. I think most of you would just understand me uh, like that easier. Hi, I'm Evan's brother. There you go. <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, I actually want to start with a bit of like family context, so it's good that I called out Evan. Uh, we grew up in a family that would go on a lot of road trips, okay? So uh, going to Florida, going to... Um, Myrtle Beach, uh, long road trips, and at 17 years old, I remember uh, getting up at like midnight to drive through the night to get to Myrtle Beach, and it was the like the scariest drive ever, and I was the one driving, and after like four hours, four hours of driving, I couldn't take my hand off the steering wheel. I learned what white knuckle driving meant, like my knuckles were actually white uh, because it was like winter slush, and my dad's just sleeping, and he's like, I trust you, Trenton, so much to drive, um, and so uh, I've done a lot of driving in my life. Actually, what, what I didn't do a lot of driving, uh, the context of driving was like traffic. So when I got to Montreal, I was like, I hate driving uh, because I didn't know traffic. But I do know driving long stretches uh, through um, just like long highways. And uh, one of the things, I'm getting to a point, one of the things that I, I would often experience is driving through fog. And so I just want to, maybe, maybe you've experienced that, maybe you've seen that where you really can't even see the car in front of you, any turns or anything like that. You're just in this very thick fog. Uh, and so if you have that mental image, uh, you might have experienced that being uh, like, whoa, this is really like, incredible, what, what's going on? Or you might be like, oh man, I need to slow down and stop, uh, I don't know what's ahead of me. Um, but uh, for anyone who has experienced driving through fog, uh, eventually you, come, you break out of the fog. And what, what the experience is for, for me personally is always like a relief to be uh, like, oh, I can see clearly now. I've been like, I've been only been able to see like a couple of feet down the road and now I can see like trees, I can see the mountain, I can see the sky. And like uh, often, especially in the context of driving through the night, that experience happens as the, sun's, as the sun is rising and the heat of the sun is, is dispersing the fog. Uh, and so that... That image of, that, of driving through that fog and breaking out into the light, I wanted to apply it to our, our Christian life. Is there, is there anyone here today who has had the experience that you're in a fog when you're trying to understand what the Bible is saying? Uh, you have this kind of this, this mental, spiritual fog, and, and it also uh, can be just the, the way that you experience your Christian life. You, you don't really know where you are. You don't really know if you can see a couple feet uh, forward or in the, in the sense of a Christian life, a, a couple days forward, years forward. Uh, what, what is going on in my walk with God? What is going on in my Christian life? And, and that is why I'm so excited about this, this sermon series on Ephesians, because I truly believe that Ephesians is intended to clear away that fog uh, and to bring clarity to what is the Christian life? What is it to walk in the way, uh, the Jesus life, to live the Jesus life? And so as we get into Ephesians today, I just want to just pray. Uh, pray for any of you who that really resonated with, that you feel like right now you're in, in some sort of spiritual fog when, when you look at the Bible, when you read the Bible. So let's just pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I thank you uh, that you've given us your word uh, and that you don't just give us your word and, and tell us to figure it out, but you also, uh, through the power uh, of your, your son and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, through faith in him, you give us your Holy Spirit, uh, and that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding, uh, helps us in our relationship with you. So God, I just want to thank you for your word. 
uh, I pray that you'd speak to us today. I pray you'd speak uh, through me. Uh, give me words that you want me to speak today uh, and just remove any of my own words. Uh, and God, I pray that through this sermon series, we would just really have that experience that uh, we have clarity in, in reading scripture. We have clarity in our walk with you, living uh, life in Jesus Christ. And so I pray these things uh, in the only name I can pray them, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're going to be working through Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 today. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, you can just leave it open because I'm going to read a couple verses and then talk a bit, read a couple verses, talk a bit. We're going to go back and forth like that uh, throughout our time together this morning. So I just want to reread verses 1 and 2 uh, as we get started. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is being written by Paul. And for those of you who know Paul, Paul was previously a Christian killer. And now he's writing to the saints, the Christians who are in Ephesus. And the reason he is doing that is because Jesus himself chose Paul uh, and, and stopped him in his ways. He changed uh, Paul's heart. He gave him a new vocation, a new job, a new mission. Uh, and now Paul is writing this letter. Uh, he wrote a, a great deal in the New Testament. But as Paul is writing this, this letter, I, I just had the sense um, that he, he's very excited about what he's talking about. And it's, that's where we see this, uh, these verses 3 through 14 are, is like the lo- one of the longest sentences in the New Testament. And so he's very excited. And I wanted to ask who, uh, in the context of travel, who's been on a guided tour before? A guided tour. Okay, so a lot of people have been on guided tours. That was part of my, my brother and my upbringing. On, on those trips, we'd go on guided tours. And have you ever had an obsessed tour guide? where you're like, this person knows way too much, but not only knows way too much, cares way too much about this place or these things. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to that, uh, but as Paul is writing to the saints in Ephesus, I almost get the impression he's like that obsessed tour guide where he's like, let me tell you every specific tiny detail that I can about what's going on. And I, I, I really appreciate that in the context of scripture. I, you might have got, like, got my tone. I didn't appreciate it so much in the context of going on guided tours uh, in my upbringing. But still, uh, Paul, he starts by giving us the meaning and the impact of the gospel. That's what we see in chapters 1 through 3. So we're going to be looking at that over the next couple weeks. Uh, And he's kind of just giving us the views. He's like, look at this, look at this, look at this. Uh, And then through chapters uh, 4 through 6, this is nothing that like a normal tour guide would, would do other than those people that like actually live in like those, in the context of like those villages. They actually just live their whole life there. That's what Paul does in chapters four through six. He's like, this is what it would look like to live this way. So the first three chapters are, here are the views. Here's what it looks like. Chapters four through six is, this is what it looks like to live this way. Uh, so just to help you have that uh, clarity, even walking into it. So uh, today, that will be a big emphasis, is just look at the gospel today. Uh, and then as we go through this series, we'll get into what it looks like to imitate Jesus in our day-to-day life. And so Paul's talking to the Ephesians. Uh, he's talking to the church, the saints who are in Ephesus. Uh, and it's just important to know that Ephesus was a very difficult place to follow Jesus. Uh, there was primarily just a word, the whole city worshipped uh, a deity called Artemis. Uh, Artemis, uh, in a massive temple, one of the wonders of the world. 
And uh, the city was about 200,000 people at, this, at the time of um, Scripture. And so they were worshiping this deity in this massive temple. They were practicing magic and dark arts. They, they were just obsessed with it. Uh, and so God, in Acts, we see that he completely interrupts what's going on in the city, and he resets the culture. Uh, and so if you want to uh, go and read that, that would be Acts uh, 19. Uh, and so a couple of things that I want to point out that happen in Acts 19 is that uh, Paul comes to Ephesus and he, he equips saints that are already there to be on mission. And for two years, they're preaching the gospel until what scripture says that every resident in Asia heard the word of God, heard, heard the word of the Lord. Okay, so in two years, they preached to every one of the residents in Asia. And, and then what happened is that people were responding. People were responding to the word of the Lord. Uh, it, continuing in Acts 19, it, it talks about uh, that they had this massive book burning uh, like moment where they brought all of these like magical books, these dark art books, and they burnt them. And uh, I saw the amount. They, it said like they calculated the, the value of all these books. And so then I kind of tr um, looked at what that would be in present day money. And so they burned about $6 million of like dark arts magic books in Ephesus. And that's a city of 200,000 people. So just even imagine today in a, in a city of Montreal with 2 million people, how uh, absurd it would be if there was like this pile of like $6 million of books, probably some like uh, Kindles and iPads mixed into that. But it would be just all of like, this is absurd. And and God is so changing the culture that the the actual the com the commerces like the the business owners they they started talking to each other being like um we used to make idols and like that used to be our whole job and now nobody's buying idols anymore and it actually started riots because the the people who did not believe in the world lord were so angry that so many Christians, so many people were believing in God that they were literally losing their business and so this, this is the context uh, that, that the church, the saints in Ephesus are living in. Uh, and what Paul says right away is, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in <clears throat> Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. So this is the, uh, the emphasis of the whole letter. The saints, who, the Christians who are in Christ. In Christ is the key, okay? It's going to come up so many times. Uh, and how to live in Christ no matter where you live, no matter what context you live. And so this, because Paul is talking about how to live in Christ, no matter where you live, this is extremely relevant to you today, to us, the church in Montreal today. Uh, and so that's why I see that Ephesians is removing this fog uh, as far as what does it look like to live in a secular context, because that's what Ephesians was written to, the Christians living in a secular context, a secular city, and I think it really does bring clarity to what does life in Christ, life in Jesus, look like. And so Paul, after this greeting, the, the obsessed tour guide, he goes into, like I said, one of the longest sentences in Scripture, and he points all of your attention. He's like, look at the gospel. Oh, and now look back at the gospel. And over here on our right, we have the gospel. And up ahead, we have the gospel again. And so uh, some theologians uh, believe that the intent Paul had in writing verses uh, 3 through 14 was really to be a hymn of praise, to be just, uh, uh, just from the deepest understanding of the gospel, it was creating just a song of praise from Paul. Uh, and so we're not going to try to sing this passage, but I do believe that that is a good way to engage with this text, that every section of this, um, these verses is really pointing us 
to what the gospel is, and then to praising God. And so the first praise to God is for his remarkable plan for redemption. So that's verses 3 uh, through 4. Praise to God for his remarkable plan of redemption. So let's read verses 3 and 4 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who has blessed us in Christ in every, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, may God be blessed because he has blessed us all. May God be blessed because of how he's blessed. He's, Paul's giving a blessing to God for the way that he's blessed Christians. And this, this entire section is looking at how God has blessed Christians. And so then the, 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 the appropriate response to thinking about God has done all these things to bless believers, the appropriate response is to praise him. And the reason that God can bless us, the, the way that God has blessed Christians is in Christ. And so I'm going to repeat that, that it, the word in Christ is the key to this whole passage. We hear it multiple times in different variations. So we hear in Christ, in him, in the beloved. Uh, and so this refocuses the reader in just these few verses 11 times. 11 times we're being pointed back to Christ. And so we know that he's the key. And the reason is because being in Christ is the new identity of every believer. And so it's the key to having a transformed life. It's the key to understanding uh, how to live and to be brought out of that, out of that fog of confusion uh, is in Jesus. It's not in anything you do. It's not in your, your spiritual disciplines. They're important. It's important to read the Bible. It's important to pray fast. Like those things are very valuable. But those things are not what saved you. And those things are not, uh, are not going to bring you clarity in your relationship with God. It is Jesus Christ alone. Okay, and so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, thank you for being here. Thank you for engaging with this. And th this passage will present him very clearly to you. So I just invite you to keep engaging. And so uh, this, in Christ, that's the key to having a transformed life. Uh, and then it goes on to say that even as he chose us uh, in him, before the foundation of the world. And uh, I'm, we're not going to go deep into the, all these terms of predestination and, and chosen, uh, but what we see here in this passage is that Paul writes this, and his response is praise. So if you read verses in the Bible and you say, mm, predestined, I don't like that. Oh, elect, I don't like that word. Oh, chosen, mm, I'm not sure about that. Let me go, like, read the, the five points of Calvinism and, like, compare, and then maybe there's other, these other views. And and you're just getting into like a theological debate, clearly that's not the intent. The intent that Paul had in writing this was to praise God. And so when we read this, we know that it is guiding us to praising God. And when it says, the, the word used for chosen, uh, he chose us before the foundation of the word, world, it's the same word that was used when God chose Abraham. It's the same word that God used when he chose Jacob, who became Israel, when God chose Moses, when God chose David, Okay, and so if we look at scripture and the way that God seeks out a person to have a very intentional relationship with them and to, and to lead them in a very intentional way beyond what they could have done themselves, this choosing leads us to praise. And when, God, when Paul says God chose you, the, the appropriate response isn't to get into a debate and an argument, but it's to praise God. 
And so uh, Paul even goes further to saying that God chooses us in him. God chooses us in Christ. Uh, and this is Paul referring to Christ's participation in God choosing us, but the key here is before the foundation of the world. Uh, so it's similar to when uh, John says in John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the word, uh, was the word. Uh, Jesus existed with God in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before anything existed, before any human existed. And it's in that moment that God was already choosing you with Jesus. And so that's a profound aspect of the, the gospel and, and the theology that Paul is presenting here. And the response is, like I said, uh, to praise. And so before the foundation of the world is intentional. Uh, because it underlines, actually, if you have a Bible, like underline that and highlight it. Because it underlines and highlights that um, we weren't present, right? Am I right with that? We weren't present at the foundation of the world, okay? So God chose us before anything was created, which means that before anything existed, God had a plan for you to be saved. Before anything existed, God desired to be in relationship with you. And this shows us that our relationship, our salvation, our restoration to God does not depend on us because we weren't there before the foundation of the world. So don't believe that your righteousness in the things that you do gets you closer to God because before anything existed, God already had a plan for you to be in relationship with him and it's in Christ. Uh, and that in Christ, uh, before the foundation of the world, uh, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So when you are in Christ, what's your position before God? You're holy and blameless in Jesus. Holy and blameless. That's, that's the transformation that Jesus brings to a believer's life, to, to a Christian's life. It's holy and blameless. And so you need to hear that today. If you profess faith in Jesus, do you know that you're holy and blameless? That, uh, that word, blameless, uh, means the blame is gone, obviously. But it also can be used to carry an undertone of having no blemish, being spotless. You are uh, having no blemish, you're spotless, you're holy and blameless. And so are you here today, are you thinking in your mind, having this self-reflection, I'm not, I'm not spotless. And I just want to say something to you right now. God does not agree with you. God is saying that in Christ, you are holy and blameless. God does not see that you are, are, are dirty, that you are sinful. If you are in Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ on you. Uh, and so I want to share a story about my daughter, Abigail, who's seven. And I asked her, okay, for any of you who are, who's going to say you shouldn't talk about your daughter from the, the, the pulpit, she went like that. I asked her, and she's like, okay, fine. But Abigail, she loves life. She's very active, okay? And what happens with uh, a person that loves life, that's very active, is they often get their clothes very dirty, okay? So Abby has so many stains on her clothes. She'll have a fresh pair of pants, and by mid-morning, she has to change because she's been sitting in the grass, like playing, climbing, crawling on her knees. Uh, and so it is common for Abby to be walking around our house with dirty clothes, stained, uh, torn jeans, and things like that. But here's, here's what I wanted to get to. That's not who Abby is. Abby is not dirty clothes and stains. Uh, she is not her dirty outward clothing. And so 
we know that, obviously, and it's, it's a logical thing, but I just need to put emphasis on that. Uh, so what happens when we see Abby with dirty clothing? Well, Lori, she is mainly responsible for these things. <laughs> uh, she'll see that and she'll say, hey, uh, change your shirt. Let's change your pants. And she'll take those clothes with stains on them. She'll wash them, scrub them off. Uh, so she'll clean the clothes and she'll replace uh, Abby's clothing with, with clean clothes. Uh, and so when God sees you, in your new identity in Jesus Christ, he's not looking at your dirty clothes. He's not looking at the times where in your flesh you choose to still sin. But he knows that there's going to be that continual work of taking off and putting on again. He's saying, oh, let me, let me clean that up again. That's not who you are. You're in Christ. Let me clean that up again. That's not who you are. You are in Christ. And maybe you're here right now, right now. You came into church and you felt like you're wearing dirty clothes spiritually. And that's not what God sees. And right now he's saying, let me take that off and clean you. And this leads us to praise. This is what leads Paul to praise in this verse. And so today we're doing things a little bit different in this sermon. I have, you might have noticed Simon sitting up here, uh, and he's going to lead us into a moment of praise throughout the sermon. And so right now we're going to praise God for his plan, his remarkable plan of redemption. And so you can stay seated. Uh, Simon's going to lead us in, in a couple uh, um, kind of lines of a uh, hymn. Uh, and you can just sing from where you're seated and praise God for his remarkable plan of redemption. And when I think that God is son of spirit sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly buried he bled and died to Take away my sin and sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee. How great thou art! How great thou sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Thank you. Uh, so we praise God for his remarkable plan of redemption. And then Paul continues, we praise God because in love he predestined us. Let us read verses 5 and 6. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, uh, through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious name with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He predestined us for adoption. Now let me just say, adoption, it doesn't just happen. 
a child or, or someone being adopted doesn't just show up in a new house and, oh, here's my new family. And the parents are like, where'd you come from? I don't know. <laughs> Adoption takes, takes serious planning. And so Lori and I have several different friends who have adopted in the past. Uh, and what we saw is that it takes a lot of time. Uh, and it, it, even at times years, it takes planning. Planning as to how are we going to uh, pay the cost of adoption up front, and how are we going to pay the cost of adoption once they arrive? There's a continued uh, d- uh, need to provide care. There's continued cost. There's lots of planning. And so you might have seen this shirt up here, and I'm going to just show you something. Um, we had friends that adopted, uh, and in, a, in preparation for adoption, they made different shirts to sell to raise money for adoption. So this uh, is several years old. You might be able to tell. Uh, and I loved this shirt because I loved what it meant that uh, it reminded me of, of being chosen in, in Christ for adoption, but also showed me the intentionality they had that they were doing the work in advance to, to make a way to adopt a child. And then I was wearing this shirt a couple years ago, and people were like, oh, yeah, I like that show too. And I'm like, what? And it happened a lot of times, and I got confused. But then I realized there's a show called The Chosen, um, but this predates that. Uh, but the reality here is that before the foundation of the earth, when God made a plan in community in, uh, with the, the Son and the Holy Spirit, God knew, like, humans are going to need saved. And Jesus knew, it's going to cost my blood. And before he created anything, God was already making a plan for your adoption with intentionality. God's love led him to planning for your adoption, uh, but he doesn't, he also, he doesn't just want you to show up in his house and in, in, in his kingdom or in, in heaven, uh, in heaven in, in whatever sense you might be thinking, but he, he wants you to be part of his family. He wants to have real relationship with you, and, uh, and he wants to provide for you. And so we see, we see that in the, in the work of Jesus in the beginning. We also see that when he says he's going to give us his Holy Spirit to care for us, uh, to be our helper. And in the same way that no, no person just shows up in a house and says, like, I'm adopted now, you're my new parents. Like, adoption, that, that intentionality, that planning that takes place, that uh, no one can earn Adoption, that removes all sense of entitlement, doesn't it? How, how did you earn being adopted by God? That you, you proved yourself, I'm going to be such a good child. Uh, let me show you my resume, and, and you should adopt me. And like the, it's all here on the paper. Um, no, you can't earn adoption. And so when you realize that, when you realize that I, I didn't do anything, before the foundations of the earth, God not only had a plan for creation so that, uh, and, and to make me, uh, to be in relationship with him, he knew that I, would, I wouldn't be able to be in relationship with him. It would, it would take Jesus and, and his, the life of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, for me to be able to have that relationship. And he made that whole plan before it even existed and could even have the concept of what's right and wrong and then choose wrong and then still think that I could be in relationship with him. God had a plan. And what this leads to in, in Paul's uh, just very long sentence here, is, again, praise. He's saying, look at the gospel. Look at that. Let's praise. And, and, and this leads to uh, him saying, uh, in a sense, in verses 
uh, 7 through 10. Praise to God because in Christ he forgave our sins and revealed his plan to us. And so let's read 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Adoption, your adoption, cost everything. It cost the life of Jesus, his precious blood. And in the blood of Jesus, we have redemption. Redemption means, uh, that word literally means a slave being set free. So you, a slave to sin, can be set free by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus, his death, it marked the final day of atonement. The day of atonement in the Jewish culture, uh, they would take two goats. One to be a sacrifice. The blood was given to cover sin as a payment. And the other goat was sent out into the wilderness to represent that those sins were forgotten. A sacrifice and forgotten uh, payment and forgotten sin. And the blood of Jesus in his death, in giving his blood, represents that final day of atonement. Final payment and forgetting of sin. And then we have forgiveness of our trespasses. When we talk about trespasses, uh, it's referencing sin. And often we describe sin rightly as saying missing the mark. So, God created us. He wants us to be in relationship with him, uh, but he is perfect. And if we miss the mark of perfection, we cannot be in relationship with him. And everyone misses that mark of perfection. Uh, and that's why God knew that he would have to have a plan from the beginning of time that we would be made right in, to him and restored a relationship with, uh, with him through Jesus Christ. And so uh, that term sinning actually comes uh, from archery where you miss the bullseye, you sin because you miss the mark. But in here, we see forgiveness of trespasses. And that's another way to reference sin as in crossing the line. Like trespass, trespassing. Have you ever made that mental connection? Uh, you are literally seeing like this line says do not cross. I'm going to choose to cross that line. Uh, and so when I was a kid, something in me, I, I inherently, inherently knew that I couldn't go in my older brother's room. I have an older brother who's 11 years older than me. And he's not probably going to watch this live stream, so he won't know anything I'm going to say. Uh, but I inherently knew I couldn't go in his room, but I still chose to go in his room. And then beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew that I couldn't go in his room because I was told by my parents and by him, and, and it was just, the door even had a lock on it uh, at a certain point. And so I knew that was an area I should not go, uh, and that if I went in that, I would be trespassing to a certain degree. Uh, and I still chose to do that. I remember I would, I would like check the door when he'd be gone to see, oh, it's unlocked. He forgot to lock it. And I'd go in his room. I would make myself so at home. I would be lo looking through his things, like finding his old toys. Like he had an, an iPod video and like with, with shows on it. I'd be like watching shows like on his couch, just like, just, like lounging in there. And I made myself at home. Not only did I cross the line, but I made a life of it in a sense. And and. And that's what happens in sin, that we don't, we don't only miss the mark. We see a line, and we decide to cross it, and we say, this is where I want to live. 
And you might be here today being like, who, who sets the line? Who has the right to say there's a line to cross? Uh, shouldn't I be able to decide what's right and wrong? And I think that to a certain degree, you can, because God says that he made us in his image. So you already have something inside of you that's going to tell you that there's a line there. So you can decide to ignore that and be like, well, that's just some weird moral structure that somehow I was taught in my upbringing. But really, honestly, you could be alone and you could still have a sense. This is, seems like a wrong thing to do. Uh, and then the Bible affirms that sense. You have this natural sense, this seems right, this seems wrong. Then the Bible affirms, and it's the creator saying, yes, I put that in you. I, I put that sense of what's right and wrong in you, and let me outline it more clearly for you. You can even read it and have that confirmation that that's right and wrong. And so we have that sense because we've been made in God's image, and we still choose to go against it. We still choose to cross the line. We trespass. And so I, I don't need a show of hands. I don't want... Uh, verbal response, but can you admit that you've crossed the line when it comes to that inner sense of knowing what's right and wrong, and also if you've read scripture, w even if you don't acknowledge that God created the world, you can acknowledge that you've done things that go against what the Bible says, even if you think it's true or not. And uh, what I want to say is, if you can admit that, if you can admit that you've crossed that line, this passage here, what Paul says, it's God wants to lavish his love on you. Doesn't that go against everything? Like it, if, when I, if I were ever to be caught in my brother's room, I'd be like, please don't kill me. Like, how can I make this up to you? And imagine he's like, oh no, let me just lavish my love on you, younger brother. That seems so absurd. That's probably never happened in the history of brotherhood. But God sees us crossing a line and he wants to lavish his love on us. He wants to lavish his love on you. And this is according to the riches of his grace. And now, if you have a little understanding of Scripture, of God, uh, of what grace is, you're, um, you're going to have a little view of grace. Uh, that could look like, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I've crossed a couple lines, so God only had to save me a little bit when, when he saved me in Christ. Uh, and so I've, I know I've given this illustration before, uh, but it's where Timothy Keller says, like, our view is, like, we're here, we're bad, and God's here, he's good, and, like, this is the gap between us. But the reality is that we're, like, way over here, and God's way over here. And God's saying, this is how much grace I want to give to you. This is where we are. This is the separation. Uh, and Stephen Polino, I don't know if some of you know him, he took a picture of me doing this, and he's, like, sent it to me after. This was when you were telling me how bad I am. <laughs> but this is how bad we are, and this is how good God is. And God in Christ brings us all the way to him. And so the more understanding you have of, oh, wow, I cross the line, like, all the time. Uh, oh, like, I miss the mark of perfection a lot. The more understanding of the riches of of God's grace you can have. And so that's why I, I so clearly want to ask you, can you admit that you cross the line? Can you admit that you trespass? And so uh, God set this plan for our forgiveness in the blood of Jesus in Christ. And so that again, Paul's reminding us this, this plan for our salvation was made in the Trinitarian community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a plan since the beginning of time. Uh, and then he says it's a plan for the fullness of time. So it's not only since the beginning of time, but it's been always, everything the Bible talks about is moving to see this plan move forward and then be fulfilled in Jesus and then to continually be fulfilled in the work of his Spirit as God gives faith 
to believe in his word and then to live a life beyond what we could live on our own in Jesus. And so this plan has been unfolding and is still unfolding in you today as you profess faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and then <clears throat> it, this, this part of the passage concludes, to unite all things to him in heaven and on earth. And uh, in just research, I found that the uniting all things to him actually really references uh, bringing things under the headship of Christ, okay? And so the headship, the leadership, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, that's not something that's replacing what already exists, okay? It's not, God's not saying, I'm going to take away, like, the headship uh, of you or of governments or of powers of the earth. I'm going to take that away, and I'm going to put Jesus. We literally do not have a headship. It's like you're walking around without a head if you don't have Christ. It's, it's just a, like, think about that. <clears throat> That's what the Bible is saying. So you have no direction in life if you don't have Christ. And God is saying that he is working a plan to bring all things under the headship of Christ, which means that instead of just wandering around, not knowing where you're going or what you're doing, you can now have a leadership uh, of Jesus Christ in your life that was planned since the beginning of time. And so Paul says this, he lays this out, and the response is to praise. Praise to God because in Christ he forgave our sins and revealed his plan to us. And so I'm going to ask Simon again to lead us in another hymn. Because in Christ, he forgave our sins and revealed his plan in us. Uh, we're coming uh, to the, the end of this, this very long sentence, as I keep re referencing. And, and Paul's been, look at this, look at this, look at this, uh, our obsessed tour guide. And so we get to verses 11 through 12, uh, where we see another praise to God. Because again, in Christ, he chose and predestined us. We already heard that in love. He chose and predestined us, but in Christ he chose and predestined us. Let's read verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And verse 12. So that we who are the first hope in Christ uh, might be to the praise of his glory. What we see here is, is a summary. God chose us, God adopted us, God redeemed us, God forgave us for himself 
to make us his own. And what, are, what is our inheritance? What do we get? We get him. We get to have God. We get to have a relationship with him. And so as we look at this, it could, we could go on so long on this. But to summarize it, the, the response is to rest. The work is all done. God has done everything to restore you to himself. And you can rest in that. God planned it since the, before the beginning of time. And then he's going to make it happen. And the response is, is to praise. Uh, and then moving on, we praise God because in Christ, he sealed us with his spirit. And so these, these are the last verses in our passage, uh, 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, or with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Uh, one question, have you heard this before already in this passage? <laughs> uh, at this point, Paul has, is almost like becoming monotone. He's repeating so much the same thing. But the reality is, is that we forget. Okay, you might have come in here forgetting that it was in Jesus that you had salvation and that you might have been like, oh no, I have to go to church. That's part of what I have to do to have, to have salvation in Christ. And no, that's a celebration of what Jesus has done, coming and worshiping together. Uh, and what Paul is saying in this repetition is don't forget it. And also what he's saying here is that nothing, no blessing that has just been written out here exists outside of Jesus Christ. And if you are not in Jesus Christ, receive him. Receive him today. That's my plea to you. If you are here today engaging with, what does the Bible talk about God? Well, you just heard it. It says everything is in Christ. There's no blessing outside of Christ. You've been made to be in relationship with God. So if you're here today and you are not in Christ, you know I am not in Christ. You can receive him. Uh, I just like... Uh, you just uh, close your eyes in reflection uh, right now. And you don't have to say these words, but I want you to reflect. If you're ready to be in Christ today, this is what a prayer uh, could look like. God, I want to know the riches of your grace. Would you forgive my trespasses, my sin? I know I've crossed the line. I know that I need Jesus. I know that Jesus needed to die for my sin. And so I thank you that he has done this. Thank you that he's alive now and that in Christ my sins are paid for and forgotten. God, I ask you to make me in Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and I know many of you here today uh, just celebrating, praising God for what uh, what he's already done to make you in Christ. But if you're here today and, and, uh, and you wanted to pray something like I just, I just laid out there, and that was your heart's desire, that's something to celebrate. And if, you, and if you've made a prayer like this today, come and talk to Evan or myself before you leave. Uh, you can be baptized on October 30th uh, because that's a celebration of what God is doing in you, that he's bringing you in Christ and you're, you're being brought under all of these blessings. You're being brought under the headship of Jesus like you're intended to be. And that's something to celebrate. 
And, uh, and as this passage closes, it says that when we receive him, uh, for those who have received Christ, that are in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus, to make us uh, live out our new identity in him, to remind us that we're in him all the time, uh, to transform us. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. He, he makes us prophetic witnesses in our cities and in the relationships that we're in. And he gives us the ability to witness to others, to tell others about Jesus, and to show, look at the difference Jesus made in my life. So we're given the Holy Spirit, and not only are we given, it says that we're sealed with the promise, with the promised Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And so that word guarantee, it is uh, referencing a down payment or a first installment. And so I just want to read uh, to you just an excerpt of um, this commentary on Ephesians, because I think it really lays it out clearly. Uh, and so I'm just going to read this to you. The Greek word Paul uses, uh, that being for um, sealed, uh, I'm sorry, the guarantee, um, is araban. It's a business term referring to a down payment <clears throat> or a first installment. An araban binds both the parties in the deal, both the buyer and the seller. <clears throat> when the buyer puts down an araban as a down payment but fails to pay the rest, he or she loses the down payment. When a seller puts down an Arabon as the first installment but fails to deliver on it the rest, he or she is obligated to pay double the first installment. My goodness. God is saying that if he fails to fulfill the promise, which will never happen given his character, he will pay twice the Arabon. God will pay twice his first installment. God will pay twice the Holy Spirit. God will pay twice himself. What a portfolio. We're richer than we think we are. We're much richer than we feel. And in response, we praise God. We praise God because in Christ, he has sealed us with his spirit. Simon, you can come back and lead us in. to a time of response. And the only appropriate response, I believe, is to praise that uh, God's grace is everything that Paul has been refocusing us on. It's, it's what takes uh, kind of the entire passage. It takes the, 
the spotlight of the entire passage. Um, and we, we can understand grace as being unmerited favor. But Paul has taken this understanding of grace being unmerited favor in, and turn it into understanding of grace as being overwhelming favor. And so my desire is that we're overwhelmed today with the grace that God has poured out, lavished on us in Christ. That we praise God uh, because he, of his remarkable plan for redemption. Uh, we praise God because in love he chose and predestined us. In Christ he forgave our sins and revealed his plan to us. In Christ he chose and predestined us. And in Christ he has sealed us with his spirit. And so our response to that overwhelming favor is to praise and worship him. I'm just going to pray, uh, and then we're going to go into exactly that, a time of worship uh, and praise. Thank you, God, uh, just for this time to be overwhelmed. I pray, God, that um, as we move into response, uh, you would continue to give us a, uh, a deeper understanding and, and a, just a, such a clarity as to what the meaning of your word is, what what this passage, passage means for us today, that you would remove whatever sort of fog someone might be experiencing in, in engaging with what is a Christian life? What does your word mean? But now we have this clear understanding of what the gospel is. What are, what are you doing in our lives? And that everything is in Christ and that that's the key. And let us praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.